All right, let's kick it. Welcome to the Sobriety Diaries, friends. My name is Nate. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic and sober coach. My addiction has shaped the person I am today and given me the ability and voice to help others, and I simply wouldn't be here without it. Recovery is possible. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we talk to other recovering alcoholics and addicts. We hear their stories and hope to help others who may still be struggling. Head on over to the sobrietydiaries.com where you can apply to be a guest on the show and join our insiders list for early release episodes, exclusive content, and much more. Also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Happy Sober Day, friends. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode and spending time with me here on the Sobriety Diaries. You are the reason that we continue to work hard and and produce episodes that are meaningful and to create this community around recovery, and you are part of that. So it is truly appreciated. Thank you so much for listening today. We are chatting with Michelle Smith today, one of my new BFFs, and I truly mean that. She is such a genuine person and does everything just for the right reason. You know, there's no ulterior motive behind it. She is engaged with her audience. She truly wants to and does help people. She says herself she went from a depressed, anxious mom using alcohol to numb herself and, you know, has moved on to this confident life she is a author, a podcaster. She is an addictions counselor. Uh, she is the face and brain behind Recovery is the New Black. You know her. You love her. Let's open the diary on Michelle Smith. Michelle Smith, thanks so much for joining us on the Sobriety Diaries. I appreciate your time. How's your day going? I'm doing really good. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Tell me something you're grateful for today. Ooh, I'm grateful for um, my iced coffee. Yes. And I'm grateful to be able to be sober to actually hang over, like I'm hangover free to actually enjoy it and be up to watch the sunrise, which is something that I wasn't able to say that I could do before sobriety. So I'm definitely grateful for my coffee. (laughs) I certainly want to talk about the great work uh, that you do today with Recovery is the New Black and the Sober Mom Squad and all that good stuff. But I wanted to start and, and sort of walk through your story together. So let's start there. Absolutely. So I was raised in the Pacific Northwest and I had the pretty typical, what people say, you know, not really a lot of trauma in my childhood. And I had a really good life on the outside. I think perspective people looking in of, I was raised with a father who was a well-known physician. I, you know, did really well in school, played sports, did all the things, went to college Um, The really only big drawback was my father was an alcoholic. So, you know, not always the crystal clear, perfect image that people thought, but we had this persona and image that we had to keep up of everything was really, you know, great and fine and beautiful. And so, you know, there was some, there was some trauma in regards to the aftermath of obviously being a child of an alcoholic father And I had my first experience with death when he passed away. He was sober, but he passed away 
two years after he got sober from a massive heart attack. And so, mm. you know, my first experience with death was at 15 years old, going to your father's funeral. And it was a really big detriment to the community of where we lived and found, you know, comfort and love in my partner who is um, now my husband and went through college really didn't, you know, experimented a little bit with alcohol, but I had this predisposition. I had the perfect example of what not to be. So I was really careful about my alcohol intake and recreational drugs. I was very off in regards to that. And so I went through life really just enjoying everything about it and not having to really have a reason to dip into mind altering chemicals wait a few years and I became a mom and life changed a lot for me. I was working multiple jobs. I really felt disconnected from life. I thought, you know, motherhood's going to be really super exciting and all the things. And I really enjoyed all of it, but got really, really depressed really quick when I embraced motherhood because I had lived this life and created this career where I had expected all of these things. And I started falling short from my expectations of what I could handle being a mom versus before I was a mom. And so I got into that darn mommy wine juice culture, slow and steady. And, you know, I was really feeling disconnected. I was feeling depressed. I found out through this process that I had postpartum depression. I started having physical health issues. And so I slowly but surely started saying yes to yoga mommy wine culture. Yes to tacos and margaritas. And I really liked the way that it made me feel. Right. I mean, don't we, don't we like, like taking the rough edges off a really stressful day? Yes. The effect I drank for the effect for 20 years. Right. Yeah. And you know, what was like top shelf drinking of, you know, sitting on the patio, enjoying sun and company, um, was wonderful until I started noticing that that wasn't enough. I wanted to drive home and stop at the store and have it for later. And so just those types of behaviors and that dependency started to creep into my daily life where my tools that I was using daily to de-stress, to unwind, to socialize, to have fun, started being replaced more and more with activities that were related around alcohol. And you know, a few years into that, I started making bad decisions and I started making decisions where alcohol was predominantly involved in where I was going to pick for restaurants. And, you know, I wanted to go to places that traveled that were all inclusive. And it was just like, of course, why would I go to Mexico? And why would I go to all these places and not drink? I was associating fun with alcohol. And it started getting to the point where people were noticing, I was noticing, but I have a background in addictions and mental health. And so I'm thinking, Michelle, you have the tools, you know what to do. Why aren't you doing it? And it became this thing of, I'm not that bad, right? 
I started exploring with Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm like, well, these people are really terrifying me. Like I have the perfect example of like what not to be, right. but I couldn't find the similarities. I could only find the differences because that's where I was at within the spectrum of my addiction at that time. And so I was like, I'm not there. I'm here. I'm good. I'll work around. I found a workaround. So I was looking yes. for that, you know, door that was like, this is what you have to do in order to keep alcohol in your life. And I can, I did, I hung on the last two years of my addiction and did everything I could to protect my drinking. You know, there was blaming it on depression. There was doctor's appointments that I made just to appease my family that didn't, that weren't necessary. You know, everything I could think of to protect my drinking. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, did you only have one child at this point? Yes. And then I got pregnant and sobered up. Okay. Yep. Of course, because it's like the pregnancy syndrome. You can stay sober for your children. Yeah. Um, but you don't have enough self-respect to stay sober once the child is is out, right? Is yeah. is is birthed and the cycle picked up from there. And so it just got really bad really quick. And you know, they say, Oh, things have been different. I've had this length of sobriety. Um, I think I can moderate or I can, you know, I have more tools. I can go back in with a different approach, right? Because if alcohol is like, I was doing everything and anything to keep it a part of my life, like you said. Yeah. And so it really got bad where people were noticing people didn't want to be around me. I was losing jobs. Um, I was forgetful. I was, you know, obviously waking up with the bruises. It's the same story. It just, it just takes a little bit longer to get there. And so I, um, made a commitment to my family to go to inpatient treatment. And so I did that. I went to a women's facility and gained an absolute tremendous amount of insight and tools. And I fought it tooth and nail, but it was the best thing that I could have done. It, it's hard. You don't want to leave your babies. Like I'm mama bear, yeah. but I'm thinking, okay, I'm not going to be here for mother's day, my anniversary, my child's birthday. Wow. But you know what, Michelle, if you do this, you never have to miss another op. You never have to miss another celebration ever yeah. again. Your daughter never has to blow out her candle saying, I want my mommy to be sober. And I did it. I did it for everybody except for myself. Mm. And so as much as I gained, I relapsed 30 days after treatment. I wasn't prepared for the outside world. If if you're changing inside and nothing's changing outside, what are we going to expect to be different? And so I didn't declare my house for, let's say, alcohol-free, my sacred space. So Independence Day happened in 4th of July, and I looked for every reason that I deserved it and I could moderate. And yes. as we know, Bender from there ended up in the hospital. <laughs> wow. Um, Child Protective Services got involved, of course. Um, and so it was just a really, another opportunity for me to look at my life and say, Michelle, is this what you want for yourself? Your life has become unmanageable and you are a person who cannot drink that leaves endless possibilities of things that you can do. And again, not being able to stay sober for myself, but you are not going to take my children away. I love them that much. Right. Yeah. And so I just, you know, I took a different approach and I really started wanting it for myself. And so I looked at different treatment modalities, medication, therapy, 
things that brought me joy that necessarily weren't a built-in program. I took pieces from everything and really hunkered down to say, I am going to be a person who doesn't give up. I would look at all my sobriety dates and I was just like, I'm ashamed. I'm, I'm, sh- I'm in such the shame cycle. I am self-sabotaging myself with this poison. I am a loser. And I'm like, stop being a martyr and a victim, Michelle. You are a person who isn't giving up and you are not going to give up on yourself. You have two kids who I don't ever want my children to know what it's like to be parentless. And I am slowly killing myself and they will be me. And I know what that feels like to have your parents gone for physical health reasons, not slowly suicide by the bottle. Yes. Um, but that was my motivation to know that my children needed me and I needed to be there for them. And that was really where the turn took of learning of how is alcohol really affecting me? What benefits is it providing? What value am I getting from this? Instead of protecting and figuring out every way that I could keep alcohol in my life. That's really when the tables turned. It makes so much sense, right? When we look back, I think that's one of, there are many downsides to addiction, but but hindsight is 2020, right? We realized so many things about ourselves and how we were ruining our lives and and self-sabotaging to your point. And only after we have the clarity of mind is, is when we realize these things. So I think that is, for me at least, why sharing my story and, and helping those who are still struggling is so important to try to help realize those things. So thank you for bringing that up. Absolutely. I recorded an episode earlier today, and it must be the theme because we were on the topic of you know having to want your sobriety and want your recovery for yourself. And your story is the perfect example of that. But I can only imagine, I'm not a parent, but I can only imagine that wanting it for to better the lives of your children is a damn close second. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's, it's, and especially like you just said, in hindsight, it's like, you know, what are you doing? You are self-destructing. You are this isn't what anybody signed up for, you know, but when you're sick and you're in your disease, it's, it's such a different perspective. You are sick. You are emotionally broken and it's hard to see your way out of something that has been such a slow progression of digging and digging and digging because what was once helpful is now the most harmful thing that we could be doing to ourselves. But there's so much shame around that. Right. Yeah. The shame is huge. You said something that it has been like circling in my brain since, and it's so true that oftentimes we just look for the differences. And I think it plays into that protection of our disease and our addiction. And I think it's, you know, the fact that we always say, I'm not as bad as that person. What would you say to a listener who we can enlighten on, on how to look for the similarities instead? Right. And I think that there's such stigma, obviously, in the spectrum of what alcohol use disorder looks like that we need to welcome ourselves into the 21st century of, you know, it's not normie versus rock rock bottom drunk. Alcoholics Anonymous is your only option and you live under a bridge and you're footless out of a brown paper bag. (laughs) Right. And so I think that people, again, find the similarities and it's like, 
listen to people's stories of hope, of inspiration, of what is this providing you? Because you will end up in the same place. And so it's like, if you have a problematic relationship with drinking, we can stop and look at that at any time. We don't have to wait for this black, dark hole of a moment to say, I need help. Just start listening to the whispers. Are you getting acid reflex? Are you getting tummy pain? Are you getting migraines? Is Are you breaking out in your face? Like, those are similarities in people, but listen to your own body. Don't sit there and look at, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Why would you want to wait until you're that bad? Right? Right, right. So it's like, if you're getting migraines, like you're, that's your body telling you something. Listen to that. We think that it has to be DUIs and, you know, blackouts and broken bones. And it's like, it, it gets there. Trust me. Yes, <laughs> I've got does. a lot of yes. broken bones and, you know, everything to prove that, but people just think it's so far into the future. So I think it's really reeling it into what is this doing for you? You know, is what negative consequences are resulting into your drinking versus it's not that bad yet. So that's, that's where I would start is just not looking for obscene, absurd. I'm that far out of the spectrum to where there are things that are making this harmful for you. The first person that I found myself relating to at a speaker meeting was a probably 75 year old woman at a 12 step meeting. And, you know, on the outside, we probably didn't think that we would relate to one another, but she started talking about the feelings that she had as a child and the feelings that sort of carried with her throughout like early adulthood and into the beginning of her disease and the way in which she just described the fear making decisions for her in her life. Yeah. To your point, it could be one of many things, but just to have an open mind and kind of that, you know, listening ear and and be open to it. Right. And I think that that's part of the 12 step process of like, what I went in, I, you know, being a newcomer, it's like, I am so, what do I have to add? Right. These people, I was, I wasn't looking for inspiration at that point. I was still resistant. I was looking for, holy cow, these people scare me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I'm going to, I could possibly become this, but it's like the newcomers need to know that that's not intimidating. That's inspiration. You can be there. And those old timers need the newcomers to remember that first drink's going to get you drunk. Yeah. We need you just as much as you need us. Yeah. And so that's, you know, and, and now that you share your story, I did have a similar story with a gentleman who did do something similar to me with that. And he, you know, was just like this like brown paper bag right here, Michelle, this you're going to be doing, you're going to be looking for forties out of garbage cans. And I was like, you're ridiculous. Yeah. You know what? I was running to every damn different liquor store, gas station, finding things. I mean, anything to plug my nose and chug this stuff. Like, I mean, that's where I got towards the end. I was like, it was insanity. And I never believed that it would be true. Never from top shelf to random gas stations with change looking for shots and, and, you know, forties. I mean, come on. Like I never, ever dreamed that would be my reality. 
Just goes to show that nobody is immune and this disease does not discriminate, period. It does not discriminate. And I think that portion of my disease, when it went from that, like, this is still fun, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm doing it socially to like that more miserable necessity drinking, like that yes. portion of it seemed to happen like in the blink of an eye. And I think to your point, why let it get there? You know, let's address things now. Well, and it's like, you know, do let's everybody like, you know, generationally, it's like, let's do keg stands and let's do adult drinking games until we black out and forget about our kids and let's play beer pong. It's all fun and games, but it's like, it's like, I'll always say it's not so glamorous when you can't stop drinking. Yeah. There is this point where not everybody has an on and off switch. And, you know, there's this predisposition where all of a sudden my, I poked the bear. I had this predisposition and alcohol, alcoholism ran in my family and it was susceptible. I had dealt with a lot and I wasn't dealing with it other than just increasing my alcohol intake. And I, I became addicted like anybody else can, when they continue to go back to an addictive substance, you can become addicted as well, you know? And so it's just like lean in and be like, Whoa, maybe today I shouldn't have that drink just because I'm stressed. Maybe I could go hit the gym or take a nap, you know? And it's like finding different things that it's like those leaky buckets. It's like, you're just putting a bandaid on a solution. Right. And it's like, there's going to be a consequence on the other side of that. And I want something that's not going to give me that consequence, even though it might give me that instant gratification in the moment. So that's one thing that I looked at when I started saying, okay, I need to reel this in and find different ways of coping in a different way of living. That's going to look a little bit different than it has the last decade of my life. Do you have siblings? I do. Yes. I'm the middle. I've got two sisters. Do they struggle with addiction? Yes. Um, my um, youngest sister is 10 years sober. Amazing. Congrats, yes. sister. <laughs> yes. She, um, she started, you know, drinking in college and had problematic drinking and before mine was ever problematic. And so I was really there to support her. Um, so it was very awkward um, to have the tables turned, but it was a very, very supportive relationship. Um, and my older sister's not there yet. Um, her drinking hasn't gotten as problematic, but we're in the denial stage. And so, um, you know, I'm not in the place right now where I can share as much. There's that resistance and denial and who do you think you are? And so it's just like, I'm going to love you from here and um, we're going to keep doing our thing. Um, and and I'll be ready when you're ready. mm -hmm, I'll be here when you're ready. (laughs) Yeah lead by example and keep focusing on myself and loving everybody for where they're at. And, um, and when they're ready, they're ready. Took me a heck of a long time. To your point, my sister as well. I mean, she's, she's saved my life on a few occasions, but there, there was a day where I, I just became willing to like throw my hands up and and surrender. She did it like, you know, in the right way and, and was just kind of loving from not even really afar, but just waiting for the day when I became ready and and it came and and she was ready to pounce on it, man. She wasn't going to waste any time. Oh my God. I love your sister already. I have like goosebumps. And that's exactly what happened with me. And I think it happens with everybody. It's like all of a sudden it's like, drop that drink. I'm done. I'm absolutely done. Don't wait for Monday. Don't wait for the new year. Like it's significant to that date because that's the date that you pick and run with it. 
it, right. it was just literally that like split second moment of clarity where I had just had enough and was disgusted enough with myself and where things had gotten that I was like, okay, yeah. let's go. And she was ready. So Bless her. we need those people in our lives. We sure do. We sure do. You know, whatever front that we put up, sometimes it's usually coming from a place of fear and hurt and, you know, the sense of inadequacy and, you know, it, it may come out with anger or it may come out with violence or whatever it may manifest itself in sometimes. But I think an overriding theme that I see with m- most alcoholics and, and folks who struggle with addiction is that sort of internalized hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. How did I get to this place? And it's not fair. Why me? You yeah. know, it's like, I guess it's your thing. Everybody has a thing and this is just the way it's going to have to be. And I think when you acknowledge and finally come to that place of acceptance, that that leaves endless possibilities of things that you and I can do, Nate, like it's okay. I can't freaking drink. Great. I'm not going to black out. I'm not going to lose money. I'm not going to lose my husband. Like let's yes. go. Yes. Right. Oh, it's so true. I can start a fucking podcast yes! and try to help other people. It's the promises. Uh, it's, it they they it truly will, is. They continue to unfold and to present themselves when they're supposed to. It's divine timing. And if people just stick around long enough and believe in themselves and just literally take it one day at a time, one hour at a time, put enough distance between you and your substance and endless things. I mean, beautiful things will appear and people give up, including myself, because they're comparing where you're at the hard part with the comparison of long-term recovery is not even comparable. We can't do it. And so we're on this habitual hamster wheel, just doing the hard parts of sobriety and recovery. And it's like, stick around because I promise you, it is so amazing. And we don't oh, stick around long enough. That's such a good enough. point of people who sort of chronically relapse. They are always in the hard part. Uh-huh. They never realize, they never realize the the beauty of it. They don't get it. They don't give themselves the opportunity to experience that. So there, I was always going through the withdrawals and the shakes and the nausea and the, you know, days and weeks of it. And then I give up right before the miracle happened because I'm like, ah, too much distance. I forgot what that consequence was or so-and-so forgave me and I can do things different. Give yourself an opportunity to see what it's like being a non-drinker or a non-user. We deserve it. It's amazing. It's amazing. If I could go back and tell myself that, Ugh. give yourself enough opportunity. Like, just do it. Yes. It's like I kick myself sometimes for so much wasted time, but then I try to reset yes. and say, I'm grateful for the for what has gotten me here today. So it's absolutely you know, I have I have to look at it in that regard and, and be grateful for what I've been through and and you know where it got me. Absolutely. Cause we can get caught up in our mind with that. And it's like, but we could still be there too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like better late than never that we got ourselves out of the cycle and we are fighting every single day for ourselves and everybody else who, who is still there, you know, that it is possible. So yeah, it's really easy to find ourselves crossing that shame and that guilt, but we have to remember, we don't live there anymore. We don't. And we are here, not there. 
Yes. And onward we go onward. We have the rest of our lives to create something amazing. And that's what clearly both of us are doing. And we couldn't be doing that if we didn't take the risk and believe that we were worthy enough for something different. And I so applaud people like you, me, people who are in recovery and working on themselves. Other normal people don't do this, right? So it's, <laughs> it's like, true. it's not even about the drug or the drinking. This is just a coping tool. Like we get to actually deal with trauma and who we are and our invalidating environments and find the beauty in this mess and create our messages of like, okay, that that's happened to me. That really sucks. And that wasn't my fault, but guess what? We're responsible for fixing it and right. figuring out how we're going to live the rest of our lives and break cycles and create something different for ourselves and our generations to come. And that's pretty awesome. Right? It is awesome. It's amazing. And I think like a good point that you made was, you know, folks who kind of put themselves out there and try to, you know, help other people, listen, it's still part of our recovery too. We are still evolving and focused on our own recovery and dealing with probably the same thing that many of, of you listening are. And, you know, it's, it's one day at a time for us too. Absolutely. Sometimes it's one hour at a time. Yes. Correct? Thank you. <laughs> you know what? I, sometimes I turn in at six o'clock at night and tell my husband, like, I'm done. I, yeah. I, I, I can't, I have to go to bed right now because I, I want to wake up and be here for you guys. Like, you know, and that was early. And sometimes I'll still do that once in a while, but it's like, you know what your limit is. I'm not superwoman, And my expectations of what I had were always making me fail and fall short. And right now we are all in the midst of just doing the best that we can. Right. It's yes. like, we don't have to compete and do what so-and-so is doing in their recovery. And, you know, looking at someone's chapter one to someone's chapter 43, it's like, don't, go there. You're self-sabotaging. Look for inspiration and guidance. Don't look for the comparison and a way that you're not going to be successful and that you will always be a failure because that's your addict talking. It's our addiction. It wants us to play small and it's fighting, it's screaming, and it's going to throw a tantrum until we fight through it and say, guess what? I tell my wine witch, sit down, take a seat. We're having a mocktail. How long yes. are you going to stay today? Right. Uh, I'm like, it's like my imaginary friend at first. I was like, dude, Courtney, sit down. Like, what, what, what are we going to fight on today? Because I don't have any booze. I don't have my keys. I have all my, you know, supports in line. I got my phone tree over here. I'm playing with my kids. I got pizza delivered, all of my triggers, all of everything that you're going to throw at me is already. So let's bring it. Like, yeah. seriously, it was like, yeah. I'm, I'm ready. I'm pumped up at this point. So that's a good segue. How did the uh, mommy wine circle club turn into the sober mom squad? I met all of the ladies through social media and sober mom squad. I never knew them outside of drinking days. And so we decided that well, one of the gals put out a request saying, Hey, there's a lot of, you know, stuff in the pandemic, a lot of drinking, we're stressed out. We're in recovery. Like I can't imagine what it's like for, you know, early people in sobriety, you're contemplating sobriety because of course, as we all know, the alcohol sales were just through the roof. Yeah. It was amazing. Like I, I still am baffled by the fact that it was illegal to get haircuts, but it was legal to <laughs> get cannabis and, you know, alcohol right. delivered curbside, which would have been my dream. Right. Um, but there is the harm reduction component that people 
need alcohol. So right, there's right. that other flip side. Um, and we can't inundate our hospitals with alcohol detox protocols all day long when we're trying to save people from COVID. So I get that. And so what, what we decided was, is there is this need and how can we serve these women who are homeschooling, who are over drinking and their kids, all the things, right? They're working from home. And so we created um, a platform for women to come together and just talk. And that was every Wednesday. We still have it over a year. And it's talk about sobriety, talk about mental health, postpartum, um, homeschooling, remote working, things that are just really hard conversations to have. And so anybody who's a mom is welcome to join us. And we've created now a membership program in addition to that, where people can, women can come together that are moms. And we talk about moms in like angel moms, bereaved moms, patiently waiting moms, dog moms. Let's just get as many moms as we can. (laughs) And, um, and come together and talk. And we have 25 meetings every single week, which is a lot to accompany and to really work in like helping all time zones because we're all over the world and the map at this point. Um, and so we're still going strong with just loving on women who are just, you know, all sober curious all the way to actively in recovery, living a sober life. I've been wanting to ask this, but I think now it's appropriate about your partner now husband. Mm -hmm. So you've been with him since you were 15, 16 after, right after I, uh, my, my father died. Yep. I was 15. And then I met him when I was 16. That's amazing. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. <laughs> I love that. You, I, I don't, I don't really hear that so much anymore. No. You know what I mean? Not the high school sweetheart. You know, what's bizarre is that my parents met at the same high school, the same age. No way. Isn't that just bananas? Yeah. Yes. So he came into my life and I was like, eh, you're kind of nerdy and you're, well, he actually wasn't, <laughs> he's nerdy, but he was like the captain of the football team yeah. and all things. And I was like, what do you want with me? Like I'm grieving. Like I don't, men just come into my life clearly and leave. Like, what do you want? He was that breath of fresh air. He was that goofball. He is, he is like the the soft place to land. He's just like this person that like doesn't need anything from me except for unconditional love and support. And we dated for eight years, got through college, high school, all the things he went on to the military enlisted and, you know, played sports professionally. And I did my thing, you know, and we finally, after eight years, decided that we were going to get married. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess you're not going anywhere. Um, you know, 26 years strong and geez, I lost count of the wedding. I think we're 17 years married, if that wow. adds up right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, that's all we know. And I think that that really played a big piece into he knew me sober. He knew the real me. We grew up. We know we grieved grandparents together. Like we yeah. just, we have this connection that's stronger than my disease was. I couldn't have done this without him. Well, why don't you tell folks where they can find you online and a little about Recovery is the New Black? Yes. So I can be found at recoveryisthenewblack.com. Same on Facebook. I have a private Facebook community for women anywhere. If you want to be a fly on the wall all the way to actively recovering out loud, it's a safe platform for you to just find community and connection. I am on recovery as a new black underscore on Instagram and, you know, just trying to provide a lot of people with those tools, tips, um, and just ending the stigma. I am a counselor. So I, you know, I have a private practice and I do virtual online counseling. 
And, you know, I'm just expanding my brand into the community of being able to provide women a safe place to really talk about the really hard things that lead to us picking up that bottle as an external solution to an internal problem. And so, you know, I've contemplated the podcast. I wrote a book. Um, I have it with some people on the East Coast right now. I hope that that either launches the end of this year or early next year. Amazing. Um, I'm so excited about that. I got a lot of other things in the work. I just did my tech talk, um, which was really fun, interesting virtually to do that. Um, and, you know, big things. I just, I have property. I would love to build my treatment program for women to bring their kids. Ugh. And it's just, I have so many dreams and goals and I wouldn't be able to have these if I wasn't sober. And all I want to do is to serve and show up and provide hope and inspiration for people who have lost it, because I know what that's like. We both know what that's like. So I am, you know, available for any support. My inbox is always open to people. And so that's what I'm up to. That's where you can find me. And I'm going to continue to recover out loud for the voices that don't have theirs or haven't found theirs yet. Ending the stigma, normalizing sobriety. I'm going to change those damn labels on those alcohol, put up some better restrictions. I'm working behind the scenes. Um, you know, I, I'm fighting so hard for things that I'm not using my platform for glory and for likes and comments. That's, that's not why I'm here. It, it will never be. Um, I'm purpose over anything else. Um, famous doesn't mean anything to me. My heart is in the place on the ground, the communities, the streets, and that is where I will always be. I couldn't agree more. I am. I'll be right there by your side. Let me know if I can help you in any way. I would be Thank happy you. to continue a relationship and perhaps be able to work together in the future. Um, I love what you're doing. I know that you are changing lives and am grateful for your time today. Michelle Smith, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening today, friends. Huge thank you to Michelle, my new bestie. Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you today. And if we help just one person, our job is done. You can find all things podcast related and subscribe to our show at thesobrietydiaries.com, youtube.com slash Nate Kelly, where we upload today's video podcast, and on Instagram at the Sobriety Diaries Pod. Check back soon for new episodes with new stories to tell. But until then, try your best not to drink and be good to yourself. Bye, friends. <laughs>